Hi, I'm Thomas Darv, the host of Talent Acquisition Matters. By creating this podcast, I want to share best practice, learn, develop and listen to some of the most innovative minds in the talent world. I'll be interviewing talent acquisition leaders and suppliers to understand more about some key topics like personal branding, the new world of talent attraction, candidate experience, the power of feedback, defining the perfect process, onboarding talent with impact and the art of retaining the best to attract the best. I hope you enjoy and let me know if you'd like to join me as a guest. Hello and welcome back to the Talent Acquisition Matters podcast with me, Tom Dove, your host, founder of Fraser Dove International, the life science talent consultancy. So on today's episode, we've got a bona fide change maker within the talent ecosystem. And it's not just me telling you this, it's LinkedIn. So today's guest was one of eight official LinkedIn change makers who were handpicked by the world's biggest talent platform. It's none other than Andrew McCaskill. How are you doing? Very good, sir. How are you? Yes, I'm very good. Thank you very much. So Andrew and I have known each other for quite a few years. Um, We've been friendly competitors when Andrew was leading an executive search firm, Um, then peers in a network of recruitment business owners. And now we work quite closely with Andrew um, and his excellent career jump platform. He's got some really fantastic advice of what's going on in in the candidate market right now. So, Andrew, I know I've given you quite a big intro there, um, but could you just take a minute to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, no, love to. And uh, really, really good to be here to do the return leg because your episode on our podcast was really well received. So thanks for uh, inviting me on. Um, so as you say, I'm Andrew McCaskill. Um, I guess my career has been built into three off in finance, then had 15 years in exec search and recruitment before founding Executive Career Jump. And put simply at Executive Career Jump, what we do is we're on a mission to end career-based misery. So we offer job search coaching, we offer career-based coaching, we offer startup advice, anything that can help reduce career-based misery, we're up for and we're into. So that's what we do. Perfect, thank you. So this is a podcast focused on talent acquisition. And I think that you've got a really interesting viewpoint on this because, you know, especially from the candidate side of the table, I think a lot of the time we, we hear kind of the negatives, the positives, and talent acquisition for us, um, you know, they, they sometimes get a bit of a hard time. Um, but what I'm trying to, to do with today's conversation is maybe open their eyes to what the candidate pool is actually saying. You know, a bit of a tempo check on what the market is up to. So, you know, what I'd probably like to ask first is what are the biggest frustrations that your customers at Exec Career Jump are finding? You know, what are the biggest problems that they're raising in a job search? Yeah, no, happy to. And it's been a real eye-opener for me personally, flipping to the other side of the hiring equation for a few years, because I've, I've really learned a lot from it. Um, so I guess overall, if we were to surmise what the frustration is, it's that quite often people in transition are going through some kind of confidence crisis. It's a major change quite often. Or one of the talented folks at Fraser Dove has headhunted them and turned their um, turned their uh, head at a moment they might not have been looking, but they're then giving up their time. And the overall feeling is that they don't feel like they're being treated as a person, as a human. So we need to get the human back into human resources is kind of the good cheesy line we're going with at the moment. But I I honestly believe that's the case. I think people feel like they're a commodity, that it's too transactional, and they're not being treated as a person. And they feel that pretty much at every stage of the process. Um, So that's, that's that's the overarching thing. Like to get a bit more tactical around, you know, what are people most upset about? Without question... Uh, the biggest bone of contention is feedback, interview feedback. That's the one, right? 
because if you're particularly if you're out of work and you're giving up a lot of time and money to fly all around the place meeting stakeholders or to drive a long distance to meet somebody in a different part of the country and you're preparing presentations or whatever it might be to only get generic feedback you know something like oh you were you were great but you were pipped at the post or um we found others that were better suited you know or, or anything like that just causes huge frustrations in the talent pool so that's some of the things we're seeing i think yeah and i think feedback's a really interesting one because i think both negative feedback is positive you get to close the loop you can learn you can develop from it but also the positive feedback side is super important because the amount of times that you and i have been through a recruitment process and the hiring stakeholders just go yeah we love them fine okay what does that mean what how can they become better throughout the process so you've got a better likelihood of actually closing out that candidate I think feedback is over and off the looks and, and it's just a, a, an integral part of the process that we've got to concentrate more on. I um, agree. And we've, we've got a, um, this is actually very timely, actually, because we've got an initiative as part of the LinkedIn Changemaker work that we're launching soon called the 3 Plus 3 initiative. Okay. Um, and so what we're doing is we're going to be going out um, with a campaign to get employers committing to our 3 Plus 3 initiative, which is that for everybody that interviews with them in person, be that via video or face-to-face, that they will revert with three things they did well and three things they can improve for the next interview. And that simple commitment, I think, will help them structure a better recruitment process, but also make sure that we're delivering stuff that's really actionable to people as they're going through these processes. And I'm hoping it will be seen as a great addition to people's employer brands and something that entices more people to apply because they know that there's commitment on both sides of, uh, of the transaction. So that's what we're doing about it. Yeah, great. And what an initiative that is, because I think that goes back to your human element as well, because everybody has been a candidate at some point in a process. So all of the hiring stakeholders, they know the challenges that are being faced by the candidates in the marketplace. So keeping it simple, three plus three, absolutely love it. So on to another question. So how are you advising the executives you work with to position themselves better as a candidate in this market? Yeah. So, um, well, one thing for sure that we're talking to everybody about is to not switch off when you're in post. And so where I think people come into some challenges, Tom, and you'd have seen this with your own candidate relationships, is they only start personal branding, updating their CV, leveraging LinkedIn and networking when they need to and they're on the market. Whereas I think, you know, I think we need to take a different approach to our careers and how we manage them in general and be, you know, updating our CV every quarter based on the latest results and our latest appraisal. Um, continuing to build networks and a personal brand that creates opportunity and industry opportunities to sit on panels or be on podcasts like this, or whatever it might be. So that it's an ongoing basis. You know, my advice to everybody and what we're advising them is be ready to go at any time. We're going in, we're currently in a, an ecosystem that's incredibly um, variable, hard to predict. There's a lot of ambiguity. Nobody really knows what 2022 holds, right? Like nobody can accurately predict that. So career management wise, you need to manage it, you know, like we do our fitness and our finances and other areas of our life on an ongoing basis, we need to be getting to a point whereby we're managing our career proactively. We're acting as the CEO of our career and we're ready to go at any time if we need to. Yeah. Cause I've heard, you know, you talk about in the past that there is sometimes a bit of a grief element to people losing their jobs and that can sometimes then you know negatively affect how you're going into the job market so things like linkedin cvs all of a sudden it's like oh i've got to do all of these things right now to go and 
you know, get a new job. How how are you trying to build some of these execs up from a confidence standpoint when that actually happens if they haven't been monitoring the stuff that you've just been talking about? Yeah, no, but you, you bang on. It is absolutely a grieving process. That sense of loss is very, very real. And even when you think you're okay, sometimes it just washes over you. We talk a lot in our book, the um, Job Search Playbook, about this grieving cycle that you're going to be going through. Um, so knowing that that's coming and you know people like yourself who have a position of influence talking about it in those terms is a great start. But when you're actually in it, um, what you need to do is to work on your self-concept and your self-confidence. And that comes in a number of different ways. One, the first thing I get execs to do is to take on some mentees. Okay. So, to, so to use their extra capacity that they've got with their time to actually pay it forward and mentor others. Because what I've found is the more you serve others during your own point of need, actually, the more that helps you reconfirm the value that you've got to offer, the more that helps you with your self-concept and where you're up to. So we get people mentoring others really, really quickly. Um, the next thing we do is um, we get people to do a bit of a reflection exercise in terms of doing a career timeline to date and working out where they've been most fulfilled and least fulfilled and what was going on in their life and also what was going on in their jobs at that point in time. So they can at least also get to a point of clarity around what it is they're getting after and so that they're going to market with clarity around what they're trying to attract rather than just kind of panic applying and going out interviewing without even getting clear on what they're trying to achieve. And then the third part to the foundations puzzle is to understand your personal value proposition. So to really drill down into, right, what are the needs in the market at the moment? What are the big pain points and challenges that your persona that we're looking to attract into your life as your next boss is dealing with? And how can we position you as a solution? Because I find a lot of people talk way too much about what they've done rather than what they can do. So we're all about helping people go to market with that personal value proposition. That then feeds into optimized CVs and LinkedIn and all that other tactical stuff. But those three blocks of get some mentoring done, get some reflective work done, and then start clear about your value proposition, that'll tend to help people with the inertia and get moving. Yeah, and I've been blown away. I don't want to blow your trumpet too much here, but you know, the the, the candidates that you have um, shared with us that have gone through the exec career jump um, platform, you know, when they come and introduce themselves to, to me and the team here, it's like, wow, yeah, that is a well-prepared candidate that knows their footing in the market, knows what they're good at, knows their, you know, top five, you know, career achievements, what they did, how they did them. And then they follow it all up with a great looking CV. Then you go onto LinkedIn and they are pushing out the right content about stuff that they're passionate and good about, you know, and it is quite a, um, it's quite an interesting um, kind of, I don't know, feedback for you is that the candidates that you get are way above and beyond, you know, any other candidates that we see from a preparation standpoint. So it's really, really good. Um, so when it comes to things like uh, the, the CV optimization and, and whatnot, um, what do you think is more important at the moment, CVs or, or LinkedIn? LinkedIn, yeah. um, not just because of the logo that's on my uh, picture at the moment, but <laughs> genuinely do. I guess the turning point, and I'll be really interested to hear whether you've seen this as well, but I noticed towards the end of my tenure in exec search that we were putting together these quite in-depth um shortlist packs right so we had all our headhunting notes our psych testing we had some candidate videos sometimes the cv and i would sit down with ceos or pe firms or whoever it might be and the first thing they would do is they go oh who's this candidate oh tom dove right and then they would type it straight into linkedin and go straight to the linkedin profile and i'm like we've spent hours putting together all this information yeah and all you're doing is going so you know in my mind 
based on the evidence I've seen, I think people are using LinkedIn because it's in the public domain with more trust and it gives more layers than just yeah. a CV. Um, so CV is still important. You know, all this noise about the death of the CV and will we still need it? You know, we've all been trying to eliminate it for years and it hasn't happened yet. And it's still like your international career passport, right? It's a format that's accepted globally and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, but overall, LinkedIn is LinkedIn is definitely more important in terms of generating opportunities, but also in terms of the due diligence that clients are carrying out. Yeah, and I think I saw a, a, um, a stat the other day that 99% of users on LinkedIn don't even comment or, you know, don't really update their, their profiles, all, which I found was quite surprising, really. Um, and as you say, it should be an ongoing thing that is continually updated. And then, you know, you can build a CV off the, off the, the basis of your, your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you say, you want to be evolving it as, as you're going through. Um, and this point that 99% don't post, I think people are quite surprised by that. Um, they think, oh, it's already too noisy on there. Nobody will pick up what I'm doing. It's, it's actually, it's just simply not the case. Um, putting out some simple um, posts and starting to interact and comments are a really powerful thing as well can make a big difference. Yeah, cool. And you've been really progressive, you know, personally, from a personal branding standpoint on LinkedIn, um, and you've been utilizing it really well. Is there any tips or advice that you would give any prospective candidate that's out there right now? What they should be doing? Nice, simple, you know, LinkedIn uh, 101. Yeah, sure. So the first thing you want to be doing is to get your profiles sorted, right? So you want to be thinking about what do I want to be found for? So what kind of searches would Tom's team and other exec search teams be running that I would want to be found for? So if you're a um, supply chain specialist, you might want to have chief supply chain officer, supply chain director and global head of logistics or something. You might say they would be the three searches I'd most want to be found for. And then you want to get those search terms in your job title, um, in your headline, in your about box, in your skills section. Just make sure that it's really buzzword rich so that you show up high when people are searching for someone like you. The other thing that's really worth doing is getting your personal value proposition in that about box as well, so that when somebody lands, you can talk about how you help them rather than a big paragraph about what you've done previously. And I personally are a huge fan of recommendations. I think that people are kind of a little bit, they, I think they feel like recommendations are a little bit glib or they kind of feel a bit awkward asking for them or whatever it might be. But all the heat maps on LinkedIn show us that people scroll straight down to recommendations after they've read your headline. Interesting. So they're going there first. And it makes sense, right? Like when was the last time you booked a hotel without checking a review or you booked a restaurant without checking? Like we outsource our buying decisions now. And so that's, of course, that's what people are doing. So having recommendations, I know it feels a bit awkward and difficult asking. I always cringe at myself when I'm asking somebody for a recommendation, but it's so powerful. Like get your recommendations on there. Now, once you've got that landing page, that shop window, if you like, nicely merchandised, you can now start more on the personal branding activity and the go-to-market stuff. Um, I got really intentional around this two years ago, something like that. Um, prior to that, I'd kind of dabbled on LinkedIn, but I'd never got really intentional around what I was doing. And I guess the switches that I made were to be more consistent. And consistency is absolutely key. As with any brand, uh, it's like kind of compound interest. The more you do it, the more it grows. So yep. I, got, I got more consistent and I started getting... Um, less salesy in what I was doing. So I think if I look back at pre-2019, the type of LinkedIn work I was doing, it was very pushy, very salesy. Whereas the essence of good LinkedIn content, I think is to serve your network yeah. more than you extract from it. So think about thought leadership topics, think about polls you could run that would be interesting. Think about 
um, where you've demonstrated your capability previously and how you can share the insights from it, publish interesting articles, like just get, get your knowledge out there for free. And in turn, that will solve the pain of people in the market and attract opportunities to you yeah. and to your new curated and smart LinkedIn profile, of course, which is fully buzzword and well thought through. And you become a voice of authority or a, like a key quite opinion quickly. leader very quickly. Yeah, I've seen it. Um, and it is quite interesting if you go with the value and giving away the, the, the secret source of the information that you know, I think it, it works really well. As you say, the other salesy side, that's where I think people are getting slightly bored of the posts that are happening on LinkedIn. So, I mean, fantastic advice. But so this is a, um, you know, a talent acquisition focused podcast. I'd like to understand your thoughts on how, you know, TA in general can improve in the hiring equation. Yeah. Um, well, for, for a start, I think they get a hard rap, right? Like yeah. being a head of TA on a, in a business is one of the toughest jobs out there. I genuinely believe that. Um, and so in the same way as I don't think we should bash recruiters or executive search companies, I don't think we should bash TA firms either. I think it's easy to take a cheap shot until you've sat in the seat. It's a tough gig, right? I'm sure you'd agree with that. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I, I'm coming at this with empathy of what they've got to deal with. But equally, I think we can do a lot of things better. So for context, let's talk about where we're up to. We're in a talent crunch like we've never seen before. We've got an aging workforce that more and more people, particularly in Europe, are leaving the workforce. And we simply don't have enough humans coming through to meet the need. Like, and we can't go back and have more babies, right? So the deficit is about 20%. So we've got a talent crunch of about 20% that already exists within the population. We've got new skills that are required and old skills that aren't so much required because of technology and automation and AI and things. So there's a gap between the talent pool and what's required in business. Yeah. Um, there's more competition forever. And I think the biggest competition that employers have right now is self-employment because more and more people are also choosing to opt out of working for somebody else and to go and do their own thing. Like yeah. you did, like I did, and more and more people during um, the pandemic have done. So yeah. for context, this talent crunch that, we're that TA people are trying to operate in is you know, unprecedented, that's an overused word in the last couple of years, isn't it? But it is, right? Like, it's nuts right now in terms of what everybody's trying to navigate. Build it, you know, layer into that some built-up demand from the pa pandemic. And, yep. you know, it's it's all hell's breaking loose at the moment. Two million UK vacancies advertised. It's just mind-blowing numbers. It's never been even half of that, right? So context, I think we can agree we're, we're in a, an unusual situation. Would you echo yes. that? Yeah, absolutely. I just feel that it's, as you say, talent acquisition, get a... Uh, a bad rep sometimes, I think, from a, from a business unit standpoint. I think, you know, the a CEO's biggest problem is always going to be talent, either retaining it or onboarding new fantastic people. So, you know, I think that there needs to be a little bit more love or a little bit more strategy given to the talent acquisition element. Also, within the kind of executive space, you know, it's probably the, the matter around 100 hours per search, right? That's the amount of time that you've got to put in. Okay, then if you, we're speaking with some of our life sciences, senior talent acquisition folks that are working with 60 live executive vacancies on their own. Insane. You know, where's the time going to come from? Then yeah. would the quality, would the quality start to come down? Would you stop hiring A players, start hiring B players that then hire C players? And all of a sudden you're becoming a diluted version of the company that you want to be. So it's a really difficult um, equation at the moment. What are your thoughts on maybe something like the interview process? How could, how could talent acquisition help improve that from a candidate perspective? Yeah, so this one I think is really simple. So if we think about the talent crunch that we're dealing with now, 
the best clues as to how to deal with that is to look at the software and technology ecosystem because they experienced their talent crunch 10 years ago. So yeah. there were more, there were, and still are more startups out there than there is developers available to go and help them build their products. So they've had to be doing things differently. Whereas most uh, other industries have had some sort of surplus to play with. Yeah. They've already been in this space. And so I was lucky to spend a lot of time with a lot of tech founders and they were doing one thing at interview specifically very differently to a traditional interview process. So if I can just break this down in terms of a process. Yeah. So traditional interview process in my experience and I think most of the listeners experience has three stages broadly. It shouldn't have any more than that, by the way, but that's yeah. another discussion. Um, three stages broadly. In the first interview, typically um, the candidate sells, right? So you go in, you meet this individual and you ask them, tell me about your career. What are your strengths and weaknesses? Why do you want the job? Why did you leave that particular job? Um, when was the last time you had to deal with turning around a team's performance? How did you go about that? What was the result? You know, this is your typical first chat, yeah? If that then goes well, the second stage of the three stages will tend to be a 50-50 exchange where you might get some of your colleagues or stakeholders involved and you've got a bit more of a 50-50 exchange. And then the third stage, if you like them, you'll sell to them to try. We want him on our team. Let's go in and close this guy. And you all pull together as a team to try and secure the person, sort the offer out and get them on board. Yeah. Now, go in and they pitch their vision, their mission, their values. They pitch what their own leadership style and they judge the candidate based on future predictors and their the questions they ask and the chemistry in the room and if that goes well then the next stage goes 50 50 but by the third stage they've got to a point whereby the candidate sells to them yeah. rather than them selling to try and close because they're so bought in because of what you've done and the magic about that is because you've sold in the first interview even if you don't hire that candidate they're going to go out being an advocate of yours they're going to continue to refer people in and you're going to build an, a really positive sentiment and employ a brand in the industry. So I, I think reviewing your three-stage process and turning it on its head is probably exactly what needs to happen. Yeah, and I see that a lot more now within some of the cell and gene therapy companies that we work with or the, the smaller recently funded biotech companies. They have more of that tech way of recruiting. It's, it's different if you're a 100,000 person, you know, top 10 pharmaceutical company where your interview process is probably 10 or 15 years old and hasn't really changed other than maybe a slight part of digital interview process, you know, where we're still seeing some candidates going through seven, eight, nine, 10 rounds of interview. You it's know, too much. It's too much. And what do you think the candidates are saying about that? What, what's the, the, the general feedback that you're getting from the people that you speak to about multiple rounds of an interview process? Well, you, you and I uh, have been in the industry uh, a fairly long time now despite our looks i know and, three uh, decades uh, yeah and uh, yeah <laughs> yeah actually that's right you could just about call that yeah um, but um what, what what i was taught very early on was time kills deals yep and so the longer something goes on the less likely it is to happen this idea that adding on extra interview stages is going to help you secure the person or make the right decision is is a fallacy right it just doesn't um and where, where i think we need to get to is um, getting better at setting up interviews and assessments that are more reflective of the job so that people feel empowered to make a decision earlier. So what I mean by that is, you know, competency-based stuff is fine, but, you know, the past is no longer the best pr predictor of future success because the world's changed on its axis. So I prefer like a working session. So imagine if you've got a chief commercial officer role for, you know, mid-cap size um, biotech business that's looking to grow in new territories. And the next territory that you're looking to grow in is Europe. 
and the founder and your, the candidate just scribbled up on the whiteboard together expansion in Europe and then just brainstormed that problem yep. and spent 45 minutes instead of you know both lying to each other or going through some pointless documents spent 45 minutes actually solving that problem together feeling the chemistry how do we bounce off each other do you talk sense does it feel like our values are aligned does it feel like our priorities are aligned does it feel like the pain that's there marries with the skills that I have you know, have we produced something from this 45 minutes that actually we both could be proud of and that we'd like to continue to maybe go and execute together? Like, make it a working session, make it realistic of what you're going to get the person to do rather than this silly kind of exchange of um, both people kind of rolling in glitter their situations and then people finding out when they start whether they're going to get on or not. Yeah, I think it's a really good values indicator too, because I think, you know, you want to make a decision on a, on a, on a company because your values are aligned from a personal and company standpoint, but also the people that you're going to be working with. So in that example, I think, you know, a CCO has to have a good relationship with the founder in order for that to work in, in the right way. I think sometimes, as you say, that's just lost by vanilla recruitment processes where, as you say, rolling, rolling it in glitter and then the reality is something very different. And then it's very challenging to keep hold of that talent. That's what you're trying to do. You're not just trying to recruit the talent. You're trying to retain it for as long as possible so they can make a big impact in your business. hundred percent. And, and you do see people have that 90 day dip, don't you? If the mismanagement, I think you've hit a really important point there. The mismanagement of expectations is a huge issue, isn't it? Like overselling the opportunity and then people turning up and realizing that they haven't joined what they thought they were joining. You, you, you'll never get that trust back. It's probably gone at that point. Yeah, I also think it's different. You know, I don't feel that the business that I run is in the recruitment game, really. We recruit people, but we're in the retention game. We, we need the candidates to be our biggest, you know, element of they've done a great job by the candidate going in and having a fantastic impact over a long period of time of being promoted through the ranks. That is far more important than just filling the position on day one. And That's I think a great way to look at it. That's a great. What do you think is important um, for retention in this market then from what you're seeing? Um, in this market right now or in any market, I think instant investment in the people. Um, so, you know, we, we work with an onboarding coach for some of our clients. So if there is a skills gap for the candidate or a little bit of progression or development, then we're already working with the client and our onboarding coach to try and close that gap. So we're not saying they don't think you're good enough because they wouldn't give you the job in the first place. But what we're saying is there's some, some areas that you can improve and we're going to help you all do that from day one. So our coach will understand the business, the hiring stakeholders, the hiring manager and the candidate. And then over a 12 month period, get them absolutely to 100 or 110 percent where they need to be. But I think that investment piece, you know, the the money element, I think, is kind of that, that shouldn't really be part of any hiring decision anymore, even though I know a lot of people are saying it should be on job specifications and all this kind of stuff. It's actually the team that you're going to be working with. How close can you get to the hiring managers? Again, is it a real good values connection? And can you see yourself making an impact in the business over a long period of time? I just think that it's investment development, giving people the opportunity to grow. You know, they're the most important things that we're seeing in life sciences at the moment. I love that you mentioned the word impact as well, because that marries a lot with our work in that one of the major reasons that people are coming to us 
is because they're not feeling the impact in their work. So they yeah. are getting well paid, well remunerated. They're a success in the eyes of society and the organisation, but they don't feel like they're getting full impact from what they could be delivering. And I think that's a huge demotivator as you go up the Maslow. I think that that is a huge demotivator if you can't organise people to be impactful. Yeah, and it brings me on quite nicely to my next question. So, you know, I think some of the, 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 the listeners hopefully will be interested to know what kind of people you have helped, how you've helped them, you know, maybe a little bit of an overview of the courses that you run. Um, could you give us a bit of an insight into that? Oh, yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity. So um, we've, we help every, we've helped people in 12 countries in the last 24 months. Um, we've helped people in the mid to senior space. So um, typically leadership seems to be where we're landing really really well and during transition there's kind of three ways that people can work for us we've got a basic subscription um, community who access our online materials and join in with our group and our community to collaborate on their search and that's kind of a, a low entry price point just for some additional help um, we've got unbundled services where people can book in with me or one of our other coaches for interview training or a clarity session or to get their cv and linkedin optimized and then we've got our concierge service which is our um, I guess more full outplacement style service whereby we catch up with people weekly we work on a go-to-market strategy together and we really help them understand themselves brand themselves and sell themselves in a really a powerful way that attracts in more opportunity so there's kind of three different levels to how they can interact during job search it's also worth noting we've got um, a business launcher course coming in January to help people who are going it alone and we've got a career coaching package for people who um, are in role, so they're not in transition, but they're looking to understand more about what they want or to get promoted or just to perform better and get more fulfillment from what they're doing. It's a whole range. It's, it's kind of started off as one small thing and it, over time it's just proliferated and proliferated and, and off we go. Yeah, great. And what are you excited about for the future? Well, the first thing I'm excited about is that I feel like um, COVID and the pandemic, whilst it was an awful time for so many people, I think it's provided a really interesting circuit breaker for how we view work and how we view careers and we are already kind of fast forwarding into the next chapter and I feel like there's a lot of progress that's happening right now and I hope that progress continues because I'm excited at a macro level about the pace of change and progression and you know I mean we're, we're sat here in jumpers having this conversation <laughs> like probably only five years ago we'd have been in navy suits with red ties right yeah right you know like I, I like this I like this idea that at a work level we're bringing ourselves to work a lot more and that people are taking their, thinking about their careers in a different way and not, you know, this idea of work-life balance is evolving to work-life blend and we're, we're kind of trying to bring who we are into what we do in a far more human way. So I'm super, super excited about that. Um, and on a personal level, I'm just really excited about um, the platform that we've been given by the LinkedIn Changemaker campaign to continue to go out and do more speaking and training and to, to help people through all this mess. I think it's... Uh, yeah, I think it's a great time for the likes of you and I to be really getting as much help out to as many people as possible, which is awesome, right? Yeah, I know. I think trying to solve this talent problem that is out there, I mean, my business, your business, every business right now has a talent problem. So I think to be in this ecosystem to to try and help is is great. And, you know, I applaud you for all the work that you've been doing within the, the candidate process. You know, that there is a real grieving element, as you'd said earlier in the podcast, that is difficult to, to overcome I think you know um, working with empathy bringing the human piece back into HR definitely is helping and the candidates that we have worked with that have gone through either you know your free live videos 
or um, the, the full concierge course, they're always coming to us with heaps of value and super well positioned. So hats off to you, Andrew. I think you're doing a great job. No, I really appreciate that. And it's it's really rewarding, right? So uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm really lucky to be able to make a living doing something that gives you that kind of help us high and we're spoiled with notes and things every day with people saying how we've helped them and what the results been. Thanks for mentioning that Thursday Live. Anyone who's listening who's on the job market, we do a free live, 12.15 UK time every Thursday. It's called Job Search Hacks Live. We get a global community on LinkedIn. All you've got to do is just go to my profile at that time and we'll answer any questions that you've got um, or any blockers and help you make some new connections in the process. Perfect. Well, I'm really thankful for your time today, Andrew. It's been great. I knew it would be. Thank you very much. Heaps of value here. Um, look, for any of our listeners that want to get in touch, I know you just gave some information about the lives there, but um, if they want to understand what you do and how you do it, how can they get in touch? Yeah, thank you. So our uh, website is exec career jump. So it's exec career jump or one word.com. That's probably uh, the best port of call to understand what we do. And obviously uh, follow us on LinkedIn and reach out. Perfect. Great. Well, thanks again for spending the time today. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, likewise. Always a pleasure. Thanks for the time. Cheers. Thanks. Bye.